Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. Welcome to the Action Catalyst. Today, we have Donato Tremuto, an industry leader in the world of healthcare with nearly four decades of experience with a deep commitment to global healthcare access and focus on patient outcomes and a keen understanding of digital solutions. He's the former CEO of Tennessee-based Tivity Health, one of the region's largest publicly traded healthcare companies. Donato, welcome to the Action Catalyst. We're excited to have you here. Well, I'm excited to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Well, hopping right in here, man, I am fascinated. I'm based out of Nashville, Tennessee, as we were just talking, and I'm going to do some research here about what all does Tivity do? I was uh, looking that up before here, and it looks like you guys are similar to Southwestern, where it's not just one thing that Tivity does, but several different things. Well, I was honored to uh, not only um, be the CEO of Tivity, but to chair the board for a number of years. Tivity is one of the largest provider of physical fitness to the senior population. And we are faced with a tremendous challenge among the senior population with loneliness and keeping them active. And so Tivity Health uh, is clearly uh, and has been clearly the beacon for providing physical fitness and keeping the seniors not only well, but uh, keeping them connected. Wow, that sounds like a very important and relevant career and business to be in. And I know you had a, a long career in healthcare and with your role as CEO, what were some of your biggest accomplishments? I know one of them specifically was the acquisition of Nutrisystem, which was a major deal for the company. Tell us a little bit about that and other things that you would look back on saying, man, this was a milestone and something I was proud of. I think the biggest accomplishment was at Healthways. I became chairman of the board and a year later became CEO. And I think that we were able to turn the company around by implementing what I call compassionate leadership, listening to the employees and understanding. We had two divisions at the time. One division was making money. The other division was losing money. And as I always say, I was in, you know, I was born at night, but not last night. <laughs> I knew that in order to get the company profitable, we would have to make some very significant decisions. And about eight months after I became CEO, uh, we had a very, very lagging stock. And it was partially because the unprofitable business was pulling the profitable business down. Mm. And after meeting with the employees for almost six or seven months and meeting with the customers, we did something that I'm not so sure, Dustin, has been done before. Mm. We actually gave the division away. Jeff Arnold, who um, was the founder of WebMD, uh, we came up with a novel partnership that we would give him that division. And what happened is overnight, the stock went from, you know, $10 to, you know, over $20 because we turned the company into a profitable uh, organization and the employees had an enormous input on that. And so I, I, I not only find that transaction, one that I think will go down in the business history books, but also using, if you will, the skills of your employees to help you make those decisions. 
Tell us about that. How did you partner with the team as you were looking at that? And I can relate to having to get different businesses to focus on the ones that are working and then get the ones that aren't working to either become profitable or move in a different direction. So I'm, I'm genuinely interested in some of the thoughts of what you did with that. Well, I think Yogi Berra once said, you don't want to make the wrong mistake. And I love that quote because you are going to make mistakes. Listen, I made many mistakes as a CEO of the different companies that I had the honor of leading over the last, you know, three or four decades. But what I realized is when you're chairman of the board, you really don't have all the answers. And when I became CEO, I could have just made a very quick decision to say, hey, you know, this company's losing or this division is losing money. Shut it down. But that would have been absolutely wrong. You would have put 2,000 employees out of work. You would have hurt the customers who were relying on that business. And so I took the time to really understand what were the issues in that division. And what I realized that we were not competitive from a technology perspective. We were not competitive from a data collection perspective, but we had customers. We had a real business. And so I took the time to realized that I was not going to be able to sell the business. In fact, I had no one, we tried to sell it. I had no one raising their hand, despite the fact that we had put hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in that division. But we came up with a novel way of doing it. And that is what I call collaborative IQ, meeting with people like Jeff Arnold, who had the same objective that I had. And that was, how do we make sure we we keep our customers How do we make sure we keep the employees, but do something that would save the business? We would then, by the way, write a check for $25 million to cover the forthcoming year losses. Imagine having to go to your board and tell them, by the way, you know that division that you thought you were going to get some money for? Well, you're not. But overnight, it really freed up the opportunity for us to focus on the business that was doing well to make sure that we had real shareholder value, which we unlocked overnight. And the division that was losing money went to a company that turned it around. Sharecare now has gone public. And so the value that I think will come back to a company like Tivity is that we did end up taking some uh, stock in Sharecare. And now here the company is public. And I'm really very optimistic that this will have a, a financial benefit five years later to Tivity. That is an incredible story and inspiring. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Going back to the age of seven, I know that you faced some challenges early on and you had a middle ear infection. How did that impact you and and shape the way that you learned and, and developed personally? I think in many ways. And, you know, my first book that I introduced in 2016 uh, was titled Life's Bulldozer Moments, How Adversity Can Lead to Success in Life and Business. And I have always been now um, a person who's been a student of compassion. During those years when I was bullied and denied the right to be heard, uh, I really entered into a period of deep uh, introspection, realizing that I had two choices. I could really wallow in my, my challenges. I could wallow in the loss of my hearing, or I could really learn from it and define my character. And I think that that's what the... Uh, what happened. And I think that throughout the course of my my business, when I've had challenges, I have retreated back to those experiences. And trust me, when you're CEO of a company, whether it's public or private, you're going to have challenges. And it's very lonely at the top. 
And there are many different hidden agendas that people will assess you by. And you go back to those moments, those bulldozer moments that really help to discipline you in developing the character to make good and prudent decisions. I think it also taught me that nothing gets done by yourself, that you need to rely on people. And I think sometimes that's the uh, the downfall of any leader in a company is that they believe that they have all the answers. And my strong leadership uh, has been empowerment. The decision with ShareCare was not made on my own. The decision to acquire Nutrisystem was not made on my own. I had months and perhaps years of a team around me, the board. We worked together. And I think that's what my hearing loss uh, and that struggle taught me is rely on people because you don't have all the answers uh, on your own. At Southwestern Consulting, we call it confidence anchors. And going back to what you're calling the bulldozer moments is something that is huge to give you the confidence that you can take on new obstacles and new challenges. And it seems like that's what happened with you, where your struggles early on taught you specifically about resilience and determination. What else would you say has helped you with being more resilient and the topic of how to help others be more determined? That's a great question. Compassionate leadership is not weak leadership. That what I realized is that, you know, many people talk about you got to get the culture right. You know, throw that out. That is a old, archaic way of approaching your business. You've got to get the trust first, and then you can address the culture. And I think that you've got to learn to rely on people. You've got to learn to trust people. And I have to trust other people. And I think that that's the mistake we make in companies is that we have what I call trust decay. The trust has over the last decade or two decades, we've lost that sense of trust in one another. And I think that that's what the experience taught me uh, in addition to being resilient and in addition to being tenacious. Mm. What was it that led you to the field of healthcare once you went through these challenges? Oh, that's a very easy answer. You know, when I lost my hearing, um, unfortunately, my fifth surgery, uh, my hearing was restored about 40% of my left ear and about uh, 60% of my right ear. And my sister-in-law was my speech pathologist. She gets credit for my ability to speak to you today. But unfortunately, three months after my hearing was restored, she died in childbirth as a result of a medication error. 27 years old, delivers her second child and lost her life because they did not have the information. And so I would devote my life to uh, healthcare to try to correct what was wrong in the healthcare system. And I, I started several companies in my 40 years. One company was focused on data integration. Another company was focused on algorithms around disease management. So there is a history of my innovation to address uh, issues in terms of what happened to my sister-in-law. Wow. And it's no surprise why you help so many companies because you are doing it out of your calling and your purpose. And if you're operating out of your calling and purpose, everything else is just a detail. Ori, uh, that's music to my hearing aids. You, you said it very well, uh, Dustin. Uh, so a lot of our listeners are leaders and people that are helping people in all kinds of different industries. So what would you say makes a leadership role in the healthcare industry different from one that is in just other industries? Well, again, I'm going to move this to, you know, my second book, which, by the way, is titled The Double Bottom Line, How Compassionate Leaders Captivate Hearts and Deliver Results. I think it's that sense of compassion. I don't think I've ever met a healthcare leader 
who has not started off their career with with some challenging healthcare issue uh, that they've experienced or in some challenge that they may have had in the family. And so I think there is this sense of compassion. For many, many years, I was told that compassionate leadership was weak leadership. And fortunately, I, I dismissed all of that. And so I think what makes our healthcare leaders really successful is that they're able to really demonstrate not just empathy, but what we've learned in our research on this book is that compassionate leadership is empathy plus action. Mm. Anyone can say, gosh, I feel sorry for the way that cancer treatment is being delivered. But it's the healthcare leader that says, you know what? I understand what that person's going through. And I'm going to drive innovation that corrects what that person is going through. It's empathy in action. That sounds like an amazing book. Tell us a little bit more about compassionate leadership. So let's say I'm a leader. I'm wanting to figure out how do I become a compassionate leader? And let's say that I'm someone that just says, man, if I were to admit it, I would say that's an area I can improve on. So let's talk to that person. What advice would you give them? What we did with the book is that we interviewed 40 plus leaders. Some of them, you know, Senator Bill first we interviewed. We interviewed Alex Gorski. Uh, we interviewed political leaders. Uh, we interviewed a 16-year-old young lad who started a not-for-profit company that's uh, helping seniors to learn how to use their iPhones to access social media to pull them out of loneliness. So whatever I'm saying here today is not the gospel according to Donato. Yes, I have had some input in terms of my insight. And the last point of the book is we surveyed 1,500 individuals across the United States to find out their viewpoint on compassionate leadership, and we compared it to the cohort. What we found was that you're not necessarily born with compassion, that it is a learned behavior, and it is a behavior that you can change any time throughout your lifetime. What we learned with many of the leaders is that there was an event in their life, or there was a situation that occurred in their business that really helped them to understand that compassion can be very, very viable in how you lead an organization. What we also learned was the notion of trust, that there wasn't one of our interviewees who questioned the notion that trust is by far the most important variable if you're going to lead with compassion. But Dustin, one of the things I have to point out to the listeners is that what we found is that there is a compassionate leadership gap. So let me give you, you know, an example. If you took the 1,500 people that we interviewed, most of the workers believe that compassionate workplace leads to cooperation, which leads to greater productivity and profitability. Yet most of the workers in that group believe that the workplace is more competitive than cooperative. There's a gap there. What we also learned in the cohort is that, is that most of the leaders that I interviewed believe that compassion can be part of a double bottom line that favors both profitability and care for workers. Yet at the same time, most workers see these leaders as rejecting this notion. And in the book, you make an important distinction between listening and understanding. What do you think the difference between listening and understanding is? I think the difference is the action part. You know, I'll give you a great example. Um, when I used to um, get on the elevator at Tibbity Health, there were two elevators. One was one that only the C-suite folks could use, and it took me right to my office. I never used that elevator. Uh, I used the public one because I really wanted to engage with the employees. And I remember getting on one time, and I could have gotten on, and I could have just listened to say, hey, Dustin, how are you? 
and the person would have responded fine and I would have stopped. That's listening. What I did, I used to get on and ask, hey, Dustin, how are you doing? Good. Tell me about your morning. Tell me about your story. And one time, and there were many of these examples, the employee shared with me a story where he had lost close relatives in Iraq and his mother could not be located. I brought him right to my office and we started a relief fund for he and his family. That's understanding. Being willing to get deep into understanding what the other person might be going through. However, in order to do that, you've got to be willing to be vulnerable. You know, for many, many years, I'm going to be honest with you, I never shared about my hearing loss. I never shared that I failed the fifth grade because I've always had this notion that CEOs have to be strong. People have to see them as never having a challenge. I wish I would have known that in my earlier years. In the last 15 years, I started to share that more and employees felt that I was like them. They felt that I was willing to be vulnerable and they would be willing to share their stories. That's understanding your employee population versus what I call this casual listening where you get only half of what you really should be getting from that individual. And sometimes you don't even get half of it. Love that, man. Yeah, transparency elicits the openness and authenticity of all the people around you. And that that is such a great example. I, I really like that. Well, I am very interested in your thoughts on what the demands on leaders across all businesses are going to be moving forward with healthcare and the business community. Well, I think certainly COVID-19 had a disproportionate impact on a population that I know that I and many of my colleagues have been fighting for many years. Social determinants of health, where you live, where you eat, where you you know sleep, has a greater determinant of your health outcome than your genetic code. And I think there's a real opportunity now to understand what that means because there was a disproportionate impact. And I see a lot of companies now looking at, you know, we may have been ahead of our, uh, our time when we, you know, looked at, you know, food insecurity, but food insecurity is a real issue uh, among our population that leads to poor outcome loneliness. We are now faced with an enormous pandemic of lonely people. And it's not only the older people, it's the younger people as well. And I worry about the mental health challenges coming out of this. So I think there's a real opportunity for leaders to to identify these issues and address them. From a more leadership perspective, I think that we've got to increase our collaborative IQ and our sense of compassion, that I don't think anything in the future is going to get done uh, and solve these issues if we are not compassionate, not willing to listen to the challenges that people are going through, and then be willing to work with one another. Maybe I have part of the solution, but you have the other part. Are we willing to work together so that we can have speed? in play to solve these issues. And so I think the elevation of our compassion and our collaborative IQ will address the first part, and that is the social determinants of health that I think are a real issue. And it was validated through the pandemic. Mm, loneliness is real. And as a leader, you can help bring your people together. You can find ways for them to feel connected. And that's in the direct control of most leaders in the world. And so that feels very actionable. And be willing to ask the question. Many people will not raise their hand on their own and say that I am lonely. And we have to be willing to ask the question. And I'm not afraid now, anyone that's ever worked with me know that I've always done this at the business table. And that is to ask a question of everyone, because you can really observe a lot by just listening to people's stories. And before you know it, you're getting into understanding, is somebody experiencing loneliness? 
I remember Justin and I were speaking at the Milken Institute on this very issue. And I asked the audience, there may have been 500 or 600 in the audience. I asked how many in this audience are lonely? Only a few raised their hands. It wasn't until I shared that I have had lonely moments, despite the fact that I was CEO of a company. I have two not-for-profits. I was an author. I've traveled around the world. I have a loving partner and family. I have had moments of loneliness. You have to share your own sense of loneliness and then ask others what they're experiencing. Powerful. Well, Donato, this has been such an amazing, powerful interview, and I really appreciate your time. If the audience wanted to connect with you, get the book, what's the best way to reach out to you? By the way, we do not see this book as just a book. We see this as a movement. And so we expect to have a yearly compassionate leadership conference. We expect to do coaching. And they can get on to my website, DonatoTrimuto.com slash compassion, and they can go directly to the website. Excellent. Well, thanks for being on the Action Catalyst, Donato. We appreciate it and look forward to getting a copy of that book. Thank you very much. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.